Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hold on to your butts, everyone. We're talking about Jurassic World again. This time, Miles saw it. Uh, yes, new episode, Awards Radar podcast. Steve's still taking a little bit of a break. He's honestly just so knee-deep in Emmy stuff. Um, to the benefit of the site, because little inside baseball guys, we're having a very good week or so of like numbers. But the man needs to sleep. And like if we're being honest, he's not sleeping anyway, but he can only do so much. So especially while he's so focused on TV and we're still talking largely movies, we're gonna we're gonna stay a twosome for a wee bit, and he'll uh, be back when uh, time allows. So in the meantime, it's just Miles and I. Say hi Miles. Hi Miles. And uh, actually, speaking of Steve, if y'all want to, he's not here to plug himself, but if y'all want to go on Twitter at FilmSnork and just, you know, just, 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 you know, give him a few messages about, you know, how much you appreciate everything he does for the site, because the lights are pretty much on at the consistency that they are, thanks to his efforts. So we greatly appreciate everything he brings to the table. Totally. If it is uh, happening behind the scenes and it requires more than an idiot. It's due to him, because, uh, hi, I'm, I'm the idiot in charge. Um, and if you notice, a lot of the uh, interviews recently have been have been his. Um, you guys are listening to this on Thursday, so there should be a Juno Temple interview up, uh, piggybacking off the one I did um, a couple months ago. I don't know. Time is a flat circle. Uh, Melanie Linsky. Um, what else did he do? Um, one of the actors from Ghosts, the writers of Pam and Tommy, which I didn't realize are one of the writers of uh, High Fidelity and the writer of The Wrestler. So that was kind of cool to find out. Uh, it's funny how much I, I realize is happening when I see the articles go up or when I edit them. Probably should know more of what's going on on my site, but that's eh, details. Problem, problem for a different time. Yeah, yeah. It, it works. I need, I need some plausible deniability if the current state of politics in the world have taught us anything. Miles saw Jurassic World Dominion, so that's going to be a conversation. Uh, fair warning, spoilers, but also, do you really care? Also, everyone saw it already. Uh, my Lightyear review is up. Uh, I can talk a little bit about Tribeca. There's not a lot to say. I'll just say, like, I, I wonder if, if the festival has already had its moment in time as a way, because I I feel like nobody is really covering it this year. And, and maybe that's just coming in the heat of Emmy season. And I know there are people who got... Um, their credentials like turned to virtual as opposed to in person when they'd covered it as long as I had. I don't know. It's there's there's enough going on that I'm curious if there's something that needs to be done there. But movie wise, there's some interesting stuff playing. Did find it weird that they canceled the the black phone screening because that was one of the more anticipated ones. Uh, but you know, there's an old media coming up, so I will see that soon enough. Just one last thing we could talk about because I know you were excited about that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it comes out in two weeks, so, you know, we'll be able to talk yeah. about it sooner or later. Yeah, not an amazing look to cancel it two weeks at a time, but that could also be the studio being like, why are we there if we're just going to make money in like two weeks? That could that could definitely be the case. Um, when also the last trailer I saw from it, like, didn't even have Ethan Hawke in it. It was just a trailer highlighting that it's currently at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Oh, that could be it. I, I don't anticipate that they're worried in any way. It could also be that they don't want to screw up the hundred percent oh, with like random yeah, festival that could be Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, true. it's uh, you know, the um, the January sixth hearings are going on right now, and this is the version of like stop counting the votes. We're ahead. Um, 
God, life is awful. Um, best things there that didn't play at another festival, because Cha-Cha Real Smooth is still the best. Um, Ray Romano directed and co-wrote a movie that he stars in that's very good, called Somewhere in Queens. Um, his wife is Laurie Metcalf, which, that's a pretty pretty solid bit of casting. She also is very funny in the movie, which I loved. It's a, you know, like, not dysfunctional family movie, but a, like, you know, New York family movie. It's not... It's not out of his wheelhouse. It's just interesting to see it done as a, you know, R-rated film as opposed to a sitcom. Um, he's like a, you know, he's a guy. He's got a wife. He's got a kid. He works for his dad and his brother in construction and, you know, living the, like, generic, you know, middle-aged life. His son has some, like, basketball prospects and he sort of sees it as his glory as well and starts kind of pushing him in a way that's that's interesting. What's what's funny is Laurie Metcalf hates the kid's girlfriend, and anytime a girl is talking to him, she'll just go like, who's that whore? And it's just very funny in a way that you really enjoy seeing out of her. Uh, and the other movie that is really good there is Don't Make Me Go, which I think is coming to Amazon pretty soon, Prime. Um, it's a Hannah Marks movie, the uh, actress slash filmmaker I quite enjoy. And it's uh, John Cho and a newcomer. It's like a road trip dramedy vaguely YA but still you know R-rated type thing it's very well done not surprising I like it we'll put it that way but also not a festival really so far to go crazy over so we won't focus too much on it because it is sort of what it is uh, before we get into the things that we're going to discuss besides Jurassic World did you catch up on anything or have you watched anything of note I haven't had time because uh, the play I'm in had its opening weekend yeah, it's almost like I almost set that up a little bit, too. How's that going so far? Uh, great. We had a really positive uh, opening. The show is called Unnecessary Farce. I don't think we have any listeners in the Albuquerque area, but if you are nearby, come check it out at the Adobe Theater. It is a laugh riot, and I spend at least a decent uh, portion of the show in my underwear. So, I was waiting to find out that ended with nude. Because if it was, I would have been like, I felt like that probably should have come up earlier in, in the run-up to the show. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's funny because my grandparents went to see it, and the only other show they've seen me in previously also had me in my underwear. So there was like, well, at least, uh, you know, we don't have to see that again. And I'm like, you know, funny yeah. story. <laughs> you you know, you can tell us if this is just like an exhibitionist thing. We will understand. Uh, no, no, it's legit acting. Um Let's before we talk about Jurassic because we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. Let's do our let's do our questions. We have two today. We have uh, Kayfley two hundred eight um, asks us, "Do you like these filmmakers better as directors or writers?" First up, Christopher Nolan. Uh, Nolan, I would say I like better as a director. Uh, I think he's got an, a wonderful sense of scale and, you know, he, he creates some amazing visuals and amazing action scenes. The writing can be very good, but it can just as easily sort of devolve up its own ass. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see that a lot with this list that the filmmakers who do both tend to be stronger at one thing, but they... They support one with another in a way. Like, I agree. His his directing is largely unimpeachable. Usually, if you have an issue with his film, it's some of the logic or, or just repeated themes in his film. And that's more of a writing thing. I do wonder what um what a movie he didn't write would look like. You know, I mean, like, I guess the Dark Knight movies he didn't solely write. So that's maybe the closest we'll get for a while. But. Uh, yeah, I d- he didn't write Insomnia, did he? Or maybe he did. Uh, no, uh, Hillary Seitz, maybe? I, okay. I, I believe someone so, named Hillary wrote it because 
I remember it being Hillary Swank and someone else because I think I mistakenly thought Hillary Swank wrote it when I first heard it announced. Um, the problem is, I think with filmmakers at this level, they don't want to do it because they want as much to be their way as they can. And why not my script kind of thing? Um, it's possible, but and I think of this list as we get into it, this is one of the ones that, uh, aside from a couple people who don't always do their scripts, he's possible. I could see him maybe taking on like a real high concept thing or, you know, like not that he's probably going to ever do Bond, but like if Bond came happened and he co-wrote it with, you know, Purvis and Wade or something like that. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, next up, Quentin Tarantino. Speaking of someone who I think we can safely say will almost always write his own stuff, yeah. considering he's probably got one movie left, unless he's going to not count something he didn't write, which would be a very fun, tricky way of getting an extra movie in. Because I guess that that Star Trek movie he wasn't going to write, he just sort of pitched, and uh, the writer of The Revenant was going to do it. Yeah, which is sort of fascinating, because you hear Tarantino's doing a Star Trek movie, and surely you want him to write it, or at the very yeah. least co-write it with, like, whoever's in the writer's room on, like, the Paramount Plus Star Trek stuff right now, but um, yeah. apparently not. I give him... In a way, I kind of give him credit for, I guess, knowing my voice doesn't necessarily, or you know, the way I write dialogue, for example, probably doesn't fit into a Star Trek movie people want to see, but my idea might. So I'll pitch the idea and let someone else handle the the dialogue, and maybe I'll just like punch it up on the day. That could be a that could that could be maybe a thought process. Or it was just one of these whims and he eventually was like, I don't actually want to do this. Well, yeah, I mean, lest we forget, there's a very long list of films he said he's going to do and then never got around to. I mean, what? Yeah. So what are you good for uh, for Tarantino? I think I probably like him better as a writer, which is to say nothing. He's a very talented director. And I think the directing side has only gotten stronger as time's gone on. But I think his writing is so iconic, and especially his early stuff really modernized a lot of, a lot of tropes that you still see today, um, even though I don't always agree with the direction his stories go in, and I think he can be more than a little indulgent, uh, I still think his writing is his greatest strength. Yeah, I, I think both are very good to great, or maybe very great. I, 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 I quite enjoy him. But yeah, I think... <clears throat> the thing you remember from the films of Quentin Tarantino are almost always a line of dialogue. Right. As opposed to a shot. There are great shots. But like when we're talking about uh, about Nolan, it's shots. It tends to be a shot or a sequence. And, you know, like I, if you want to flip-flop for a second, I don't think Christopher Nolan would do, would do well or would have any interest in The Hateful Eight, for example. Whereas Tarantino, obviously... A dialogue-based three-hour movie, totally up his alley. Oh, for sure. But could yeah. also do, could also do a version of somewhat some of the Nolan movies. You know, I think I think Tarantino has a love of film and a knowledge of it that kind of allows him to do anything if he wanted. It's just where his interest lies. Like I have no doubt Quentin Tarantino could do a war epic. Glorious Bastards is almost one. It's you know thinking of things differently, but he probably could do a more traditional one. But I think that it's also, I think, why we get to, like, why we prefer his writing there. Just because you go to a Tarantino movie to hear what the characters say. Yeah. And and what they do as opposed to necessarily seeing how they do it, if that makes sense. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a hangout movie, essentially. Yeah. Well, and, and so yeah. much of what, I mean, I like, you know, 
80% of that movie, the parts of it that really work are just the dialogue when it's the characters hanging out. Yeah. Which um, I was thinking about this recently. <clears throat> you know uh, how Tom Cruise was kind of the backup plan if Brad Pitt didn't work out for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, I still I, I think Brad Pitt's amazing in that movie, but I still really would have liked to see that. Maybe just because I'm antsy to see, you know, Tom Cruise working with an auteur again. But I think Tarantino yeah. especially could have gotten something really interesting out of him. Taka Maverick had me thinking about it was the thing because it's, you know, Tom Tom Cruise doesn't do vulnerable. And he's doing a little bit of I – mean, he hasn't done it in a while. And he's doing he's doing some vulnerability in Maverick. And part of what makes Cliff so interesting is very cool. But also there's that just like twinge of like I'm kind of a – like screw up in the sense of like where I'm at in life, not in terms of like how I do everything because yeah. I'm the coolest guy in the room. And I think Tom Cruise, if he wanted to and probably why he was interested, could play that really well because he – that's that sort of – what I got to imagine he feels like at the height of anything kind of embarrassing, like when he's jumping on the couch, I'm going to go back to that. I'm sure he's still putting on the like, well, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm amazing. But I'm sure when he goes home, he's like, I screwed that one up. And that's the sort of the secret sauce of, of Cliff. Um, but yeah, let's go. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, Wes Anderson. I choose neither, but I'm curious where you pick because you're much bigger on Wes than I am. Uh, I am, yeah. And I'm, you know, I've talked about this before, but I'm a semi-recent convert. Only within the last decade or so have I really gotten into his stuff. Um, the the obvious answer is writing, but I'm actually going to go with directing because mm. I think his scripts are so specific that they wouldn't work unless he would he had such a control over how he was directing everything from the shot selection to the production design to he directs actors in a very specific way. And I think often gets really interesting stuff out of people who you wouldn't normally think would maybe fit in that universe. Um, so I, I like his writing a lot, but I think what makes his writing work is, uh, is his skill as a director. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out where my issue with him lies. Like I, I just because I don't feel like I ever watch a human being in his movies, and I know <clears throat> they're not meant to be realistic in any way. But I'm I'm kind of working over my head whether I think it's the sort of arranging dolls aspect of the film and like like you know production design to the nth degree, or if it's that the characters aren't written three dimensional enough for me. I don't know. Um. What do you think? Where do you, where do you think my problem lies with him? <laughs> well, uh, let me just poke <clears throat> around in your head a little bit. I mean, I think he's an acquired taste. I think, you know, yeah. he's an, the kind of acquired taste that like a New York film critic would eat up. And I think that, that gives him yeah. a lot of momentum. But I also think like, you know, just like I don't think a David Lynch fan would begrudge me not appreciating his films because they are 100% what they are. Wes Anderson yeah. makes no apologies for the kind of films he makes. It's very specific. Oh, yeah. I don't want him to make a different movie. They're just very rarely ones I like. Well, that's what I I'm think I have to go. You have to be completely on that wavelength. And we talked yeah. about David Cronenberg last week. It's a similar thing. Maybe not to that extreme. But, like, there are a lot of these filmmakers out there. Kevin Smith, you know, a, a lot of the people we're going to be talking about, I'm sure. Yeah. And they're all very, like, what makes them a quote-unquote auteur, or at least a distinctive name, is that they are as much as a brand as, like, a Marvel or a Star Wars. Like, you go to oh, yeah, them because you know what you're getting. Whether And their voice. 
Yeah. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to go director just because I, the the movies that work best for me that he makes are animated these days. And <clears throat> I don't I don't leave, you know, Isle of Dogs remembering lines so much as the the sort of charm of it all. And I think I think that's maybe where it works for me. Though, you know, lukewarm at best. We're getting into some interesting ones because not all of these directors write all the time. So there's a there's a nice tinker here. So next up, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, he does he does do some writing now and then, but not often. Usually he's working with someone. But they you also get the sense that even if he doesn't have a writing credit, he's definitely like there's an autorial voice here. Yeah, he's got a decent command over stuff whether it's onset tinkering or whether it's just helping to workshop the script but staying hands off yeah. when it comes to the actual typing, I don't know. It may even be a case by case basis, but you even if he's not writing it all the time, you feel his voice throughout mm-hmm. um that said i will go directing because he's one of the greatest living directors and he has been for decades and you know the stuff he's written has been interesting but at the same time he, he's you remember sort of the sweep of his films sort of the grandeur or the characters or things like that but like the shot selections there's a million different things i mean he again he's a master um so yeah director for me totally I will go director also. Um, the things he's written are sometimes a little more of a, of a right turn for him. Because I think maybe – because he takes so long to sort of choose his projects and spends enough time on them. I do wonder if he develops them sort of concurrently. Like, you know, there's three or four scripts banding about and whoever do, kind of does the work that gets it to the finish line gets the next project going. Um, but yeah, I think you have to go his directing. Um, have I ever told you my favorite story about him that um, someone told me? I was at the trailer reveal for The Irishman. This is one of those things Netflix did. And they had um, Rodrigo Prieto there, you know, the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him and I mentioned how much I, I liked The Wolf of Wall Street and and how I was even a little skeptical going in. If you remember that first trailer just kind of was, I don't know, it didn't it didn't do it for me. That first uh, set to was that was that was set to like a um, Kanye song, right? Yeah, I think it was maybe a cover. Um, I was I was hook, line, and sinker from that first. Yeah, trailer. everyone loved that one, <laughs> and for some reason, I was like, I don't know. I don't remember what held me back. I mean, I love the movie. It was my number two movie of that year, but um, and also it was like him working in digital. So I was, you know, I was just kind of curious, and I he was like, let me tell you something about that movie, and I was and I was asking like, how how do you you're hold, you know, holding the camera in several instances. How do you keep from screwing up a shot when, like, DiCaprio is making, like, an absolute ass of himself in front of you? He's like, it's hard. But he's like, do you know who screwed up the most shots? Marty. He's like, he couldn't stop laughing. He would screw up <laughs> a ton of shots because he knows what's happening. DiCaprio does the thing they just talked about, and he cackles. And we have to do it over again. Which I got to imagine, if someone's going to screw up your shot... There are worse things than Scorsese, like, howling with laughter at what you're doing. Must mean you're doing it right. Well, now part of me wonders if that's almost an intentional thing, so that maybe Leo's second take will be a little less mannered. Could be. I'm sure they they also, if they really wanted, could use the take and, like, you know, ADR at whatever they need to. I wouldn't be surprised if that hasn't happened in a few cases. Yeah. I mean, they're de-aging people in his movies. I think they can handle taking out one man's laughter. For sure. Next up, PTA. This is a hard one. 
Yeah, it is. I think for me, I'm going to go writing um, mm. because I think he's he's shown that he's got a remarkable range as a writer. Like, even though he does have a distinctive voice, the different like once you get out of that early, like San Fernando Valley era, like he's really yeah, the like, Scorsese era. Yeah, he's going for something different in every film after a certain point. And even like something as recent as Licorice Pizza is kind of going back to, you know, his early stuff, but it's still doing it in a very different tonal register. Um, And I think his skill as a director is that he brings all the varying pieces to life. But I think because his scripts are so specific... The directing, almost like the inverse of a Wes Anderson, where Anderson's directing is, you know, bringing the scripts to life. PTA's skill is, or I realize I just said Anderson. They're both Anderson. Wes's skill (laughs) is taking taking the hyper-specific script and bringing it to life. PTA's skill is doing... I mean, I guess it's kind of this. It's a similar thing. I don't know where I'm going with that. But I think for the writing there is... I don't know. There's something about it that, like, his greatest skill as a... Okay, okay. Here's where I was originally going. His greatest skill as a director is to get out of the script's way. He's yeah. he's not a director who's super fussy with cuts or with, like, getting, like, all the different coverage or all that. Like, he knows when to just sit back and let the script speak for itself. And I think that's yeah. why I lean towards him as a writer. Um, I think they're both really good. I might just go director only because I can't think of a time where I didn't like his direction, even the movies that I'm not mixed on because I like all of his movies. But, you know, the the two that stand out for me are Phantom Thread and um, Inherent Vice. There's right. ones that I, you know, I didn't jive towards. But um, when it comes to Inherent Vice... I do think the writing kind of stumbles over itself a little bit. It's the only time where I don't that, feel like Well, he's... that one I completely agree, but I think that's his yeah. weakest film. He, he yeah, was, I think that playing one... around there. That, and I, I'm a little lukewarm on Phantom Thread, too, but I think they both have yeah. the same thing of he was trying something new, but maybe it's not an area that was completely in his comfort zone. Totally. I, I don't want him to make another Phantom Thread. I'm fine that he no. did it once, but like I'm good on never revisiting that type of film. I could see I could be interested in him making another kind of like stoner movie. It just it just needs to be like an hour shorter and less complicated. Yeah, either either make it sillier and really lean into your your because there's like that movie is trying so many things and you know the I I I, I just remember when when Joaquin Phoenix goes to like the the, the hand job masseuse place and like gets like banged on the head and like falls over like a cartoon character and i was like wait are we doing slapstick in this movie also but they don't really revisit that it's just like there's moments of well, what if this was a slapstick comedy yeah and like kind of like the plot it's kind of meandering around looking yeah. for something to focus on but never quite deciding what it's gonna be yeah it's just very strange that it has that and also the the josh brolin eating a banana scene like just hugely broad comedy not that it doesn't work but then there's also that like kind of melancholy, very long full frontal nude scene with Catherine Waterson that Oh yeah, like, yeah. Well she has a lot of long dreamy monologues that don't really go anywhere. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of movies in that movie. And maybe part of that is to make you feel like you're just like completely stoned and out of it, but I it wasn't enjoyable. No. I and agree. that should that should be a, a that should be a movie that's just a guilty pleasure. Maybe it will be another time. Like I, I want to. I was planning on revisiting it 
and just never got around to it. We'll see. Uh, the Coens. I mean, these two are among my favorite directors, and I ah, they're so good at both. It's tough. Um, again, I'll probably go with the writing just because it's so distinct and it's so mm. regional every time. And they're also directors who are very much playing with like different genres and different areas and different, you know settings and just i don't know they they really play around but the writing is always so sharp and so specific i'm vaguely cohen agnostic like i i almost never dislike things but i'm usually on the lower end of the spectrum with like a couple of exceptions like uh inside lewin davis is their best film to me which that's a great one i know a great one yeah i know it's i know it's well liked but i feel like people who don't love them tend to like that movie more and the funny part is it, it does a lot of the things that I usually have a problem with with them. But for some reason, it works there. Like, I, I do often feel like they're a little mean-spirited to their protagonists and have sort of contempt for them. But in that movie, I just felt for the guy. I mean, again, I think it, it speaks to, like, the job that he does and the idea of, like, you know, a, a person who does a creative thing for a living and is just good enough to do it but maybe not good enough to be the best at it and, like can't imagine why that would hit someone in my position um whereas like a serious man i i very notably once called it the classiest saw movie ever made <laughs> yeah yeah i it, mean it, that's that, definitely that is just a saw movie oh no i mean it's one that yeah they're they're pretty notorious for they're they're mean to their characters but often they are characters that like it's fun to spend time with for one reason or another yeah i think i just like at a certain point you feel sorry for Michael Stuhlbarg and then the movie keeps going and you're like, well, this is just, this is getting cruel. Whereas with Oscar Isaac and Lewin Davis, you, there's just enough of him doing it to himself as well, where you're like, I don't, you don't deserve this, but I, you, you're not getting out of your own way. You know, he's, he's walking into the storm. Oh Um, yeah. He, He could afford to be less of a jerk. Totally. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg's character, who I'm spacing on his name, um, he it feels like they're going out of their way to like snipe him from a distance as he's hiding. Right. And it's meant to be that kind of Book of Job sort of thing where it's like he just goes through all these trials and they're all like sort of a test of his character. And like yeah. it's that moment at the end where he like compromises on his beliefs a little bit that suddenly a tornado is unleashed. So, it, yeah, it's I really hated things. that ending. <laughs> I, 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 I know like it's, it I know it's it, the whole point. It's it's yeah, it's what the movie's sort of building towards in terms of its messaging. Uh um, yeah, it just it gets that mean the mean spiritness of me of just like, okay, you spent two hours or an hour and a half, I forget if it's a long or a short one, but of like making a very well crafted movie, just daring this guy. Like, come on, life is hard. Just make life a little easy for yourself. And as soon as you basically beat him into submission, you punish him for it. And I was like, uh, that's not I just it wasn't a good time to me. I remember leaving it going, well, that sucked to be him. So uh, I'll go writing as well because there, there's no – I don't have issues is the thing. It just – it goes back to like not the type of movie I would make. I would sure. – I, I jive with. Um, and I think if there's an issue sometimes then it's sometimes their pacing could stand to be a little tighter and that's more of a directing thing. Like, um, you know, uh, Buster Scruggs. Like there's a real great 90-minute movie there. 
Yeah, well, and as the pro- the risk you run with any anthology movie, it's totally some of them are going to be good and some of them aren't. I think the biggest problem with Buster Scruggs is that the best ones are the first two, and then it just kind of is a little uneven from there. Um, yeah, I, I like the I like the Zoe Kazan one as well. It's not it's not as you know um, big, but I like I think was it it's uh, the opening one with Tim Blake Nelson is the best one. Yeah. I might go Zoe 2, the James Franco one 3. The Tom Waits mm-hmm. one isn't bad. A pretty big gap. Then the Tom Waits one, then the Liam Neeson one's not good. The Liam Neeson one, I think, is the worst. I don't mind yeah. the last one where it's like the five people like in a stagecoach kind of thing. Oh, that one. Yeah, I don't like that one either. Um, I don't mind so like it, that. but it does, it's, not a, it, it's not a good final one because it's a no, little it's too a, med- That should have been like the second to last or something and give us a little bit. Or the first one. Yeah, actually, and just build really, off of that. It would really work as the first one, and then maybe the, yeah, they're... Buster Scruggs last or something like that. Yeah, because Buster Scruggs is like the fun, enjoyable one, and and I know they get kind of darker as they go on, but that last one is after, coming right after the girl who got rattled, which is supposed to be a, like kind of bleak, like oh shit, to then go even even darker. Eh, not my thing. Um, James Wan. Uh, this one, I think you have to go director. He's he's. A, well, he does he often write his stuff? Like, I guess he wrote Malignant, right? Or he writes. He writes. He writes sometimes because Lee Winnell writes a, the Saw films, and I think Insidious. Um, so I don't know. I don't think he. I don't believe he actually didn't write Malignant. His wife wrote it. Oh well, there you go. So I don't even know what um, he would have written. I'm going to tell you right now. I have the list. He wrote his. Uh, his debut movie that never came out. Okay. He has a story by credit on Saw. Sure. He has a story by credit on Dead Silence. He has a story by credit on Insidious Chapter 2. But not one. Yeah. He wrote The Conjuring 2. Um, and then he has story by credits on Aquaman and I guess Malignant. And then things he didn't write, you know, like the uh, Conjuring spinoffs. So, yeah, it has to be director because oddly yeah, some of the ones he has story there. by credits are also not great. Yeah, and it's like, <clears throat> I don't know. I like a lot more of his films than I don't. But um, True, but Dead, si- Dead Silence is definitely in the bottom rung. Dead Silence and De- Death Sentence are both just kind of like he's still trying to find his feet after Saw. Yeah, and then he goes and Insidious like, Chapter 2 is fine. I think it's pretty rough, but I like Insidious yeah. One. I like the first two yeah, Conjuring it. films, like totally. And then you know he gets yeah, into Furious Seven, Aquaman, and then of course Malignant, and it's just like he can do whatever the fuck he wants now. <laughs> I mean, Fury, Fast and Furious, not my thing, but yes, I agree. Uh, definitely a, a, a director one there, Kevin Smith. Um, not a fan, but. You know, again, somebody I recognize is doing their thing. It's not for yeah. me, but it's clearly working for people. Uh, but just looking at his stuff, I, I think you have to go writer. Yeah, I think I think the directing gets a bad rap just because it's. I, I wouldn't say not he's a showy. terrible director, but I don't think no. he's 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 not necessarily bringing anything exciting to the table compared to his writing. Even if it's not for me, he's clearly doing something in all his movies, whether it works totally. or not is a separate issue, but he is, yeah. it's his concepts that he's working with more so than any yeah, his autorial style or anything like that. Yeah. No, his, his, his direction is very much in service of the, the script yeah. and the, and, <clears throat> and the cast in a way that's not dissimilar from a lot of comedy filmmakers. 
but you know, like like a Judd Apatow. I think you have to go writer over director, even though I think he's a solid director. Though, if you look, a lot of what makes Apatow's movies pop are his DPs are like I think the King of Staten Island is shot by Robert Ellswit. You know, like he Janusz Kaminski shot Funny People. I think like he he gets the like top tier cinematographer train wreckers Jody Lee Lipes like and you know obviously isn't going to get them nominated but essentially tells them like you know I don't want the shot to be complicated but make the simple shot the best possible shot it can be and there's something to that whereas um, you know Kevin Smith for a long time worked with Dave Klein who is his regular DB who actually now does The Mandalorian I think oh wow like is a yeah Dave Klein does a lot of um, TV which is its own sort of like interesting skill now with, with cinematographers you have to work quick and especially now with some of the this like expensive shit you have to do basically a movie but in a fraction of the time um though he had like Vilmos Zygmunt did um Jersey Girl and like he's had bigger names but even with the last couple films it's largely um lesser known DPs though I will remind people James Laxton made two Kevin Smith movies right around the time he was making Barry Jenkins movies so it happens um, but yeah, it's definitely writing. Uh, Wes Craven. Uh, directing. Uh, similar reasons to James Wan is like, you know, the concepts are good, but he's often in more of a Scorsese type role when it comes to his scripts. Uh, whereas I think he really shines as a filmmaker. And obviously, he's made several of the most iconic horror movies of all time. So it speaks for itself. Totally. I think it's it has to be um, directing there. I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a Godfather type thing where he knows what he wants and he has the ability to get it out of people. Right. Um, and finally, uh, Mel Brooks. Uh, writing, I think, similar to like what we we're talking about with Kevin Smith and um, uh, Judd Apatow and people like that, where it's you know the meat is in the material, and a lot of the time the the filmmaking is functional. Although he does get credit, I think, more so than some of them for, like, if he's doing a genre, he's doing that genre. Like, Blazing Saddles looks pretty legit for a Western. Uh, You know, Young Frankenstein absolutely nails the look of sort of the old monster movies it's spoofing. Spaceballs does look like a cheap version of a Star Wars movie. Yeah, like there are actual Star Wars knockoffs that don't that like don't look as good as Spaceballs. Yeah, so like it's still going to be writing because he might be one of the top five comedy writers of all time. Exactly, but it's not a knock on his direction. <clears throat> you know he he has an Oscar for writing for a reason. For which is funny when you think about it. For the producers, like before he was the household name in comedy. Like they they went to, they went to him early, which is kind of a, a wild and and very cool thing to me. Yeah, well, especially when you consider the track record that comedies and comedy filmmakers tend to have with the Academy. Yeah, um, especially then they they you know I don't even want to say they've got better because that implies that they're doing better, but yeah, more 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 Mel Brooks type wins would be would be fantastic, even though. Not not particularly the world we live in, sadly. Um, <clears throat> let's get into Ryan McDermott's uh, question, and then we'll get to the movies that we have seen. By the way, hey, uh, yeah. by the way, yeah, go very ahead. good, um, very good question, Kayfley. That was one that got us thinking. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like things like this. Um, obviously, some of them were were fairly um, obvious, not for lack of you know 
talent with the question writer. But you know, a James Wan or a, or a Wes Craven, like their their writing is a little more limited. But um, yeah, definitely a good job. Well, no, I think um, I think it's the kind of thing we could easily come back to, like find some different filmmakers or maybe find some people who are both actors and directors and see what we like better from them, stuff like that. I totally, there's some interesting I, conversations to be had. I would be very interested in in more of this. So um, more. Thank you. Happy thank you more, please, as they say. Um, Ryan asks us to do a film hog face-off on franchise reboots. Oh, okay. Which will lead us into our conversation. So first up, Top Gun Maverick or Mad Max Fury Road? He's going hard early on. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> Whew. All right. Let me, let me sit up and pay attention here. Um, God, that's Yeah, you want to think about it for a second? I, if you've got your answer ready to go, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I am I remain kind of like Mad Max is fine. So <laughs> it's going to be Top Gun for me. Though they are very similar movies. And I think even if you're having an absolute shit time watching that movie, your jaw can be dropped at what they're doing. So I think the fact that I connect with Top Gun Maverick more is maybe just luck of the draw. But, um, you know, Mad Max, I'm never going to argue, is not good. I just, you know... It was the, the, the best version of a movie where they just go from point A to B back to point A again. And I know that I'm wildly oversimplifying it, but I kind of felt like it needed to be simplified a little bit. Um, whereas Top Gun is, as we kind of joked on a previous episode, what if Top Gun was good? You know, what if Top Gun but good? Um, with the answer being, what if Top Gun but real good? In fact, great. So I, I'm pretty thoroughly there. Where did you fall? Um... So I absolutely adore both of these movies. I think they're both easily among the two best action movies of the last 20 years. Um, I think I'm ultimately going to go Fury Road because, yes, while the plot there is incredibly simple, it is also, you know, we're talking about a film that had storyboards instead of a script. It was always very much going to be about, like, the visuals, the world building, the action direction, which is some of the best ever done, uh, you know, just the intensity and the situational. It's just they're trying to do very different things. And even I would say both franchises are we're always doing very different things. So it's, yeah. you know, it's very apples and oranges. Top Gun, I absolutely adore. I love it. It's not, I guess, the only thing I could maybe ding it on is that it's not doing anything surprising, which again, yeah. Not what it's trying to do. It is it is a astonishingly well made version of a very predictable story. Whereas Fury Road is like every other shot you're seeing something weird and new and bizarre and inventive or exhilarating, but it is telling a really simple story because so That's the story fair. can get out of the way. So but again, they're like neck and neck. I think they're both kind of doing the same thing in that sense of like story get out of the way so we can do this thing. Um, yeah, but I think Top Gun goes harder on the story just because there is more to it and there's yeah. more emotional layers and stuff. And it knocks all that stuff out of the park. But when you're doing more in that department, there's more that you can sort of anticipate or play safe or so on. Whereas like That's go fair. from point A to point B, there's so little of it that you almost can't fuck it up. Yeah, I mean – don't say but, that. But Someone again, I'm it. like, but again, I'm like talking in circles about like what's ultimately like a tiny fraction of a difference in quality yeah. at the end of the day. Very much splitting hairs. Um, this one will be different. We'll put it that way. Uh, Scream 2022 or Halloween 2018. 
Uh, I didn't see Scream 2022 because I don't really like the Scream movies. Um, I did. Which means you have to go Halloween. <laughs> I have to go Halloween. But I did really like Halloween 2018. And for yeah. a series that has never had two good movies in a row, uh, it was a very good sort of back to basics, but like, you know, with a modern sort of oomph to the to the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a rock solid, like good to very good. Like, oh, this is how you do a slasher movie. Still, um, Scream is, I think, the best Scream sequel, which I, I kind of appreciate. The um, I don't know that you would love it. I don't think you would hate it because I, I think I you would get a kick wouldn't. out of it. I also know it's the Ready or Not guys, which nothing against yeah. Wes Craven, but it's sort of like uh, maybe I would, and also I don't know. I, it's it's a series that I feel like maybe I can come back to one day and have a different appreciation for. I just yeah. Why the first one in particular was just so shoved down my throat that I was kind of already sick of it before I saw it. Yeah, I actually didn't see it when it first came out. It took I, I came to it a little later, so I was I was lucky in that sense that I was watching it as like oh this is good. Um, I will say that I like all of them. I think three is the rough one. So. Um, four being as good as I thought it was, was kind of a surprise though, you know, Wes Anderson getting a little long in the tooth. So having a new directorial voice did help. It's a lot more violent than they've usually been, which is kind of saying something. And also, um, the targets are pretty interesting because they, they get into like toxic fandom and like, you know, people on the internet having an opinion about a thing that's more important than the thing. Like, I think you would enjoy the, what they're skewering, you know, cause obviously the ready, ready or not guys, people like their films but it is interesting that they that that's where they went is like you know who needs to be taken down a peg i'm curious what they do with the next one because the same team so right. they clearly have an idea they clearly have an idea or are very rich now and i can respect either version of that um i will go scream now uh the godzilla reboot or rise of the planet of the apes uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, like, without hesitation. Um, I think it's probably the weakest of that trilogy, but that trilogy as a whole is, like, some of the most underrated stuff in blockbuster filmmaking for the past decade. Like, taking... I mean, the original Planet of the Apes is obviously iconic, but it's it's also very dated. And It's a, uh, schlock, it's a schlocky movie on purpose. It's Yeah, well, and it's, it's a classy schlocky movie, but it doesn't quite transcend the schlock. Uh, and then the less said about the Tim Burton movie, the better. But um, I, this new trilogy, I think, does kind of hit those classy beats. They work as action movies. Andy Circus is doing some career best work in them. It's it's the the back two are the films that got Matt Reeves on the Batman. So you know yeah. <laughs> something to be said for that. Uh, Godzilla reboot, I never cared for. I think it spends way too much time on some especially boring human characters even for these movies uh and the uh godzilla and the monster action is just not enough once we get to it at the time i definitely liked godzilla better than rise the follow-up films are definitely better in the apes movies even though i'm kind of like i never fell in love with the apes movies and I didn't hate the Godzilla movies as much as some people did. I, I was disappointed with the following two. So my initial answer would have been Godzilla, but I have to go apes just because, you know, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, Jurassic World or Kong Skull Island? Uh, Kong Skull Island for me. We talked a lot about the first Jurassic World last week. I, you know, I think it's fine for what it is, but it kind of washes over me. Um, Kong Skull Island isn't a perfect movie, and it's got some weird 
pacing and structural issues and way too many characters despite having a great cast a lot of them don't get a lot to do um but it's also stylistically i think it's more inventive than any of the other monsterverse movies like they're clearly yes. going for a what if king kong but apocalypse now sort of vibe uh which i really dig and there's a lot of creative monster stuff and just some of the inhabitants of the island are so weird or so interesting um so yeah i think that one all the way um i i they're pretty close they're doing different things and they're both like equally you know singles you know they're successful without being extraordinary um i think i'll go jurassic world just because the nostalgia of it gave me a little bit extra but i will say as a quick aside skull island's thing that i really appreciated about it was one i i liked that filmmaker he did the uh, the kings of summer yeah, it well, was a very very charming movie. At one point, he was attached to you're, a you're, uh, Metal yep, Gear Solid you're about movie. To, you're which, about to say the thing I was going to say, which is I would have loved to have seen his Metal Gear movie. God damn it! Like him doing a Metal Gear movie with Oscar Isaac, like I'm I'm there opening day. Like I, that sounds amazing to me. I'm so pissed that it doesn't seem like that's happening at the moment. Well, because I I think ironically the reason it's probably not happening is because he probably was making a very Kojima style movie, and well, I I'm think sure he someone was... in Hollywood went, oh god. <laughs> I think he was coming at it from a perspective of being a legitimate fan, whereas I yeah. think the kind of people – like Hollywood doesn't want legitimate fans of these things making them. They want like a Paul no. W.S. Anderson to like give the Resident Evil series a once-over and be like, yeah, I get the gist, and then make his yeah. own thing. Totally, which is funny because a a legit Metal Gear movie – would be insane. Oh, it would be incomprehensible. Like if you yeah. actually did the those games justice, even as a singular movie, oh, it would be a mess. But I can you imagine if they made like a good but cohesive like two hour, just like isolating the good stuff? It would be, it would incredible. be incredible. Um, what's funny is I never really loved the Metal Gear games because of that. They're just so like if you don't know what's going on, you're lost. To the point where I finally threw up my hands. I had gotten. Um, what was their open world one? The Phantom Pain. Was it five? Uh, yeah, five. Which yeah. is like and I, the second prequel. Like it's like second in the time. No, out of the main yeah. game. It's like, yeah. No, it's a by that later to point, two, like, they, they got a little over my head. I like the early ones better. It's also a sequel to a game that like was for like PSP or something like that. Like it was <laughs> like the narrative oh, yeah. is taking oh, yeah. over. Like it's carrying over like games that came out on all different consoles. And like you have to yeah. own multiple things to have played them all. Which honestly worked in its favor because I turned it on. I played it like twice and hated it because I was like, I don't like who the fuck is this guy? It's not even it's is it Snake? It's like, you know, because they have all these other names for like the you're essentially playing the same character, but they're different versions and stuff. It's like, you know, Rex Snake or something. Like, okay, great. Fantastic. Whatever you're saying. And like there's like like ghosts or monster. Like, okay, whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, but those But those reviews were so over the moon for that that game. Of like, not only is it a great um, Metal Gear game, it's like an incredible open world game. But what if open world, but you were in the military? I was like, I got to try it. Hated it. Put it down. Pandemic comes along and there's nothing to do. And I'm like, you know, what if I just like just started playing the game? And once you get into it and kind of ignore the story beyond what you can gather. But every time they bring up a name you don't know, you just go, okay, it's Bob. Game was great. (laughs) And I actually beat it. Um, even though it then ends and like starts up again, you know, like, no, 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 I'm not replaying this game or doing 20 more missions to get like 
some incomprehensible information for like hardcore people. But like, yeah, long winded way of saying I would have loved to have seen how insane that movie was. Oh, totally. Well, that's the kind of game. And a lot of them are the kind of thing where like you can see like a giant whale that's on fire, like chasing you while you're on horseback. And then less than five minutes later, you're in like a deeply political conversation about like terrorists in Afghanistan. And, totally. it's, and it's like, how, how did we how did we make this transition? It's yeah. also so bananas that that game. There is a part of that movie where there's a like mini pandemic among your people that uh, I remember playing. going, Oh, God, <laughs> I don't want to be doing this. Well, how could like, they did have you known? F- yeah, <laughs> did you, wait, you 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 finished that game, right? Or got far into it? I, I finished it. Yeah, I, it's yeah. Yeah. That it's point where you're just like, lot, wait, but I like it. <laughs> we're infected by something. Oh, no. Uh, uh, next up, The Matrix Resurrections or Man of Steel. I will say that on the, in the background while I'm doing this is The Matrix Resurrections. And I still don't about that? love it. Um, I do like the Matrix Resurrections. I think there was definitely an element of I probably wanted to like it more than I ultimately did. I think you like it more than than the Wachowski who made it, because I feel like watching it again, it does play like, yeah, I'll make it for you, but I'm just going to make the movie that stops this in, like, in its tracks almost intentionally. Yeah, potentially. I think I think there's still a lot of passion to it, and I think that's what I like about it. It's got yeah. that element where you can tell the scenes she was excited to do and the scenes where she was just going, you know, going through the motions. Um, Very much so. And I think it definitely suffers from not having like a Yoon Wo Ping level uh, like fight coordinator because yeah, that, the that action stuff is just. Is, it's not even yeah. that. You can even make the argument it's bad on purpose or whatever, but there's too much of it for it to consistently be bad on purpose. You, you need there's – there's a few momentary highlights, but there's no one scene where you're like – you know, it's not comparable. But it's yeah, the fact that in- the fact that you're – the fact that you're watching a movie like this that I'm sure was expensive, was meant to be like an action tentpole and by far the best parts are like – vaguely sat- satirizing like Warner Brothers like sequel machine and like talking about video games. Yeah, well that's the best that's... stuff in the movie for sure. And I yeah. I would have even gone with like fuck all the actual matrix stuff. Like I don't need to go to the new version of Zion or whatever. Like just give me a movie of like Neo like being a crazy depressed version of Neo who doesn't realize yeah, he's Neo. And, and like the good machines um, that doesn't work. That's a that's a, a that 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 feels like a note. Of like, what if there were more machines and maybe like a good one with use some CGI? Like, it feels like the answer was whatever. Sure. Um, now, Man of Steel, by comparison, is a film. <sighs> it's tough because the stuff I like in it is so good. It yeah. might, even though I don't think it's a perfect movie, it's probably my favorite standalone Superman movie. I'm not a Chris Reeve guy at all. Mm. I, I think he's I, great, I, but I don't like those movies at all. They're they're of their time. They're, I see the problem. So the thing was, I loved. I really liked Superman Returns at the time. Oh, Superman Returns I, sucks. Well, the thing was because I I was like, what if Christopher Reeve, but like a little bit better paced. Um, but yeah, I think short of some of the choices that he makes with Superman that go against the character, which not a huge deal, just like, oh, that's a different Superman. The way it looks and, and the way it handles things is is great. I will argue the trailer is still better than the movie. The, like, oh, I don't, two, dis- like, I don't disagree trailers. with that. Well and, that's, well, and even when you get into the action stuff, I think, you know, because that was 
Snyder trying something different in the sense of like it's not all slow mo, it's mostly handheld. Like there's a slightly different yeah. tact to it, and I think it creates for some really amazing images. And some of the action is incredible. My problem isn't even with the changes to the character. I can take or leave that. But it's just that the third act goes on for so fucking long. And it's just so overwhelmingly violent and that he had to address it in the next movie when we were talking about like mean-spirited stuff before like that's so mean-spirited to just like have like it's pg-13 so you don't actually see the pedestrians die but at the same time you're watching this like gravity machine like fling thousands of people into the air and then slam them violently to the ground those people are all dead um and it's stuff like that where it just it goes so hard that sometimes it's just like, nah, you lost me here. And, and yeah. yeah, but it's, it's, it's doing what it's doing really well. And I think it's, it probably holds together better than a lot of what came after it. Um, I'm still going man of steel. <laughs> that's fair. I, they're, they're actually pretty close for me, surprisingly, but I think I'm going to go matrix. Cause I think what it's doing is so weird and ambitious as a sequel that even if it doesn't quite stick the landing, it's still like, I will never not be fascinated that this is the matrix four that we got. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, we have two more, um, which I won't say, uh, check the thing I sent you, but you know, check the thing I sent you. Um, next up casino Royale or Batman begins. Um, I would say, gosh, they both came out around the same time, and they're both among the best examples of this. Yes. Um, I think I'll go Casino Royale. Batman Begins is good, but it's actually my least favorite of the Nolan trilogy, because I think he's still same. finding himself as an action filmmaker. Um, yeah, the, the, the action thir- scenes And the third act still... where Liam Neeson wants to gas the city is just stupid and doesn't quite fit yeah. with everything else. Um so, yeah, Casino Royale is, like, one of the best Bond movies and is, like, such 100%. a perfect introduction to the Daniel Craig version. Yeah, Casino Royale the way. Totally. Um, exactly my point. I, well, like, word for word, essentially. Um, wild that we're picking a uh, Martin Campbell movie over a uh, Christopher Nolan film, but there we are. Um, one more, and then we'll talk uh, a little more about Jurassic, and then we'll do uh, Lightyear and Call It a Night. Uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens or J.J. Star Trek? So JJ versus JJ, which kind of sounds like the plot of uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I I do really like both. I've often cited JJ's Star Trek as being like sort of the perfect platonic ideal of like what you think of when you want a summer blockbuster. Yeah, um, like it's it's there in the moment. Nothing efficient. to think about after. It's a ruthlessly yeah. efficient popcorn movie, and it's great at what it does. I wasn't even that big of a Star Trek guy before I saw it, and I was, like, well into everything about it. Um, Same. I watched it, like, I watched the Star Trek movies out of, like, vague obligation. My my best friend growing up, his dad really liked Star Trek, so he would take us to um, Star Trek movies sometimes. Or, and I will always give him credit for this, he actually, he passed away a couple years ago, but um, took us to Galaxy Quest. Oh, there. See, that's what I like growing up, is Galaxy Quest, so I always came to Star Trek after having seen it through that mindset. I think I'd seen, um, I think I'd seen, I think my first theatrical, like Star Trek beyond like seeing bits of, of something or being, I think I was told the plot of generations and then he took us to see first contact, which 
I gotta say, that's a pretty good way to get introduced to Star Trek. Is like, what if aliens? <laughs> oh yeah, well, and that one really works well as like a standalone. Whereas some of the other ones, I think you benefit a bit from having that background information from the show. Yeah, that's that's the only one of the next generation um, films that aren't essentially long episodes of a t- of the TV show. Exactly. That's the one that's like, here's a movie, like a big summer movie. Um, Galaxy Quest is making fun of closer to the the other ones. Yeah. Um, though there there's something in them. The one with like the, the the civilization that doesn't age and like the machine that like gives you a facelift or like Tom Hardy's in one of them. Like they're they're solid, but they're definitely a, a rung below. Um I think what you said about the JJ Star Trek is is pretty spot on though. It's it's meant to be digestible for people who don't like Star Trek. Like specifically. Yeah. Like it's, you know, like it, like I, I, and it worked that way. I remember, um, I was in college at the time. I was graduating. I think it was my last like couple weeks of, of college and the girls at like my job, like them and like some of their boyfriends had gone to see it. And like, I remember guys being like, wait, you, you liked it and you weren't confused. They're like, no, cause it's not, it's, it was basically made for them. Like, right. you know, don't worry about any of this stuff. Look at Chris Pine. He's very cool. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't he playing like that old man who talks funny? Yeah, don't worry about that. We'll get you there. But just look at how cool he is. Uh, it's, yeah, ruthlessly efficient is a good way of putting it, which is why it did so well, I think, with enough members of the Academy that there was talk of the Best Picture nomination. Whereas, you know, Star Wars, I think, is its own unique animal, where it's more about, like, if you recall the, uh, the was it what J.J. did it, the idea of, like, well, just don't fuck this up for us. Nobody was really worried about fucking up Star Trek. It was, well, maybe get people to go see a Star Trek movie instead. Right, exactly. I think there was a lot more pressure with Star Wars. Uh, one, especially because, you know, the last thing uh, that they did was the prequels, which were polarizing at best. So, yeah. you know, there, there was a lot of pressure to sort of get back to what people like and all that good stuff. Uh, that said, I will go Force Awakens because I actually like it better than A New Hope. Um, I think even though, you know, what ends up happening with a lot of these characters in Rise of Skywalker sort of sours it a little bit, I still really like the new cast of characters. I think they're, you know, they're all great actors and they're all like given really interesting and compelling introductions. And that's the one where that's the moment when people talk about like the nostalgia they have in Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. Force Awakens is what gets me there. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think Star Trek is is very good. I think Force Awakens, that first watch was just ever so slightly better. Of like, okay, this is this is what exactly what I want out of the movie, but also I think what it probably should be, yeah. which is what makes I think Last Jedi so good. Is I got what I needed out of Force Awakens. Now do something different. Which is that's exactly what, makes, what it was, yeah. And then yeah, for Rise which is of Skywalker, what makes Rise of Skywalker yeah, problematic because it, it doubles back and sort of in the wrong order. It doesn't. Yeah, work. which is wh- which is why I think there's people still talking about the Colin Trevorrow version because maybe it would have been better, maybe it would have been worse. It would have been closer to the big swing of Last Jedi, um, which gets us into the, um, I guess, big swing that is uh, Jurassic World Dominion. Um, we we talked from my angle on it uh, last week. Now Miles has seen it. So we, we talked off air a little bit about, about it, interestingly. And we'll talk a little bit about it more. But first, uh, Miles, you have the floor. How uh, you were dragged kicking and screaming to this. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, 
my my mentality with these has always been I'll watch them once eventually, and if I'm gonna obligated yeah. to watch it once, I might as well do it on the big screen. Um, I especially after our conversation last week, I definitely went into this like not wanting to hate it, but being prepared to hate it. Fair. Um, and maybe it helps that my expectations were like subterranean. Um, this is a bad movie. It's a very <laughs> stupid movie. It makes some bizarre decisions from a storytelling standpoint, from a character standpoint, from an action standpoint. There's so many decisions made throughout this movie, both by the characters and by the filmmakers, that are just, like, so bizarre. And it's so weird in ways that the first two weren't. That said, I'd be lying if I didn't ha- said I didn't have fun with it. Like, it is yeah. so stupid and so out there that cuz i don't care about any of these characters i don't care i no. you know it's been two movies neither uh owen or claire have endeared themselves to me although funny enough i thought they were among the best they've been in this one um i think the biggest weak point and i'm surprised to say this is bringing back the returning cast because mm-hmm. <sighs> All three of them are introduced, like, with the John Williams score behind them, wearing their original costumes. Laura Dern (laughs) even has a ridiculous wig that makes her look like, kind of, sort of, what Ellie looked like in the 93 film. And they never make a very compelling argument for why they should be in this story. I mean, Laura Dern and Sam Neill spend, like, 40 to 50 minutes of this movie in like a Resident Evil subplot about like killer locust and like this whole like a little bit half baked sort of you know corporate espionage story. Um, Sam Neill in particular, I feel so bad because like his character doesn't bring anything to the table that you feel like he needed to be here at all. Like he's yeah, I was there. like, come on, come for the ride. Yeah, just come for the ride, even though you have no expertise and no skills that will be beneficial in this particular thing that we're doing what but that mentality kind of goes for all the characters because like there's a whole midsection in malta where like um you know the raptor trainer and the girl who used to run a dinosaur park are like on a top secret mission impossible style covert mission and they're like they're going into this weird dinosaur cantina where (laughs) there's like you know where they sometimes eat them apparently and yeah they're like eating some of them and it's it, it like I kept seeing like something weird, and I was half expecting to see like some Star Wars aliens in there. It just well, this is a movie. Babu Frick is one of the dealers in there. Yeah, probably. there you go, there you go. It's just so or the or the guy who goes window wall. Yeah, yeah, or the or the weird like phallic thing that's on the ship with them. Totally. Um, yeah, no, it's just it makes so many strange choices, and yeah, it tries to turn like you know. The, the Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard characters in suddenly they're in these action movies. Like it's been joked that like maybe like the Fast and Furious and Jurassic World movies should cross over. But I they were kind of listening. <laughs> I Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, they were in on the meme when they sent the Fast and Furious guys to space in the last film. I haven't seen a better argument for crossing over the franchises than this movie. Like there's that scene where like Chris Pratt is like, you know, he's on the motorcycle and the laser guided Raptors are chasing him. Like if fucking 
Dom Toretto pulled over in like his charger or whatever and like rolled down the window and was like, you know, the only thing better than evolution is family or whatever. I would have stood up and cheered. Like that's <laughs> that's the kind of movie these are now. And that's like fascinatingly like much more on my wavelength than any of the actual Jurassic Park pandering we got in the last two. That's fair. The funny part is I don't want I like I didn't like the Malta sequence. That was where I was like I'm bored. Um, but that if they if they fully crossed over and made like you know um, Mission Impossible Jurassic, just because yeah. I prefer that to to Fast and Furious. But I, I would be in because you're right. That is kind of where they've moved with these. Is their kind of globe hopping dumb spectacles and Mission Impossible manages not to be dumb. Fast and Furious is just as dumb. Um, it's yeah, it's it's the the thing with this movie is still why they chose this particular story because for the life of me, you will never explain to me why locusts are the plot. No, of this it, movie. it makes no sense. Not only does it not make any sense, but it doesn't really connect with anything else that's happening. Like there's no, that. and it's like even the explanation is still like we're pretty sure they just wanted to like get rid of the crops they didn't sell people so they could run the world, but like. That's not... They're never established as, like, the company that feeds the world, either. Well, not only that, but, like, when he's told, like, oh, this is going to go bad, he's like, oh, well, you know, it's a little side project. Things go wrong. These things happen. It's like, what do you you fucking... Like, I know they make a point of saying, like, oh, you're destroying the world and you don't even care. But, like, does he care? I can't tell. I mean... Well, that's the thing. I was, was like, you're either going to love or hate Campbell Scott in this movie because he's playing... A very bizarre character. I feel like he saw what Mark Rylance was doing in Don't Look Up and just went like, yep. oh, yeah, that's the stuff. Because he, yeah, yeah, what if he is just, what if I'm on tick deeply on the spectrum? Guy. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's he some must, of it's very has, funny. And like, yeah, yeah, the bit where the guy's like, oh, sir, if we do this, or it's going to mean this. And he's like, da, 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 da. And he just walks away. Yeah. Like, I which and like, I, I, yeah, temper I tantrum when they have to, like, you know, uh, when they have to hit the fail safe or whatever. And yeah. Like, All right. Well, we gave it a good shot. Tell everyone to leave. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Our big megalomania. Like, imagine if, well, Lex Luthor's a bad example because the Eisenberg version would probably do that. But, like, imagine yeah, if, like, you know, a big, or like one of the Mission Impossible villains, like, like yeah, Henry yeah. Cavill, Sean Harris. the last one, or whoever. Yeah. It's just like, like, beating up a chair and whining about how they're but like i don't even know what his plan is does he have one it's hard to say it doesn't really like it doesn't se- like that's the thing they they, like, they, they never like develop that they're kind of doing good work and like getting all the dinosaurs into like this one location which is you know i'm sure that you know, a bad idea but still it's a bad idea but well there's no good ideas here i mean no, like, exactly letting them out well just, we had a better idea which we'll talk about in a minute yeah, I mean, just letting them out there and live and whatever makes for a better movie, but it's no way for a society to exist. But yeah, yeah it's, though ironically, the movie they told you they were making and promised you with the last one, so no a choice exactly. It's so it's again like all the good ideas that could be had are like executed in such a bizarre manner where it's like you're under like well, and again with the returning cast, you're completely undercutting their return by shuffling into this dumb s- subplot that like 
it doesn't make use of their skills. Like even, you know, at the end, there's no situation where like the plot warrants this all hands on deck approach to the cast. It's just, there's more bodies to run away from the big dinosaurs at the end. Yeah. You know, so we were talking before we started about the better version of this movie, because we kind of like opposite things about it, but we agree that it's a sort of like a recommendation worthy, bad movie kind of, um, so I kind of figured out what I would do. Not that anyone's asking me for my pitch, but I think they should have had a slightly bigger time jump because who cares, right? Because this is what? This is four uh, years or something? Oh, no. They said years. there's a period of whatever. Uh, oh, Six maybe. months, two years, something. I don't even There know. was a period of time. I the mean, opening the like clearly news report. Older, so. Yeah. So like here's my idea with that is make the jump a little longer because one of the issues is we don't care about Maisie. No, um, not even a it's little just, bit. It's such a side thing that's not Jurassic. It only time she only exists essentially to get kidnapped and be the solution at the end. Um, so what Although I think her you could being do, the solution is something that kind of happens off camera. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, her, her, and, and Blue's baby are great, but why? Eh, we'll worry about it later. Um, so what I would, what I think we should have had was a slightly a. a medium length bigger time jump so you can kind of just here's where we are with the dinosaurs and then drop us into something like malta which uh, you had also said like that should be like kind of like a cold open yeah and be like okay well they're well because you know if you establish that this is what their lives are like from the beginning yeah because claire is kind of like a dinosaur rescuer kind of thing. Now yeah, she's and, like and a weird anarchist or something. But then, like, there's like a Mission Impossible Chris style just, scene where she's like, raptors are chasing her across roof across rooftops, and like, yeah, one of the but, raptors even does that shot from the Bourne Ultimatum where the guy crashes through the window. <laughs> yeah, like, which is funny because Chris Pratt does nothing apparently in the ensuing time. Like, he's just in his cabin, but like he chops his. Wood. Uh, yeah, but Barry, you know, his partner at the park, right? is now working for the, like, as a spy. And Justice Smith from the last one works for the, the CIA. Oh, yeah. And, like, I everyone don't, I don't else know is, what like, qualifies that guy to work for the CIA. Like, he knows computers, apparently. Maybe. But, like, this is, this is where our movie, I think, works. Because you just have the cold open, and you could have Claire, you could have Owen, you could have all those guys working for the government at, like, on, like, the dinosaur division. Or something like that. And it could be that they're following this, like, dinosaur handoff, and it's Blue. And Blue's baby. Like, there you go. There's the same gist, but you've cut out, like, 45 minutes of the movie. And then my other idea is Maisie is, like, at college or something like that. So you you kind of remove her for a while. Or she's just out of school. She's working for Biosyn. And so are Alan and Ellie and Ian. And that's where they are. And you bring them together in the second act because you blew or whatever, whatever reason gets them there. The dinosaurs fall apart like they do. But then the third act is your dinosaurs running amok thing, but in society, which is what you were promised, which is where I, like I was telling you, I would move it from this like secluded place in Italy, which just means you don't really see anything besides a vague version of a park. And you put it in a, you know, secluded area but on either american soil or closer to a city so it can be things going on in a in a town or a city at the end and that would be that would be pretty cool it, like if even if it's just like 
dinosaurs chasing you and you're in like somebody's house or some nonsense, even though, you know, they kind of did the haunted house thing last time. But I think that's a, you get a lean, like a hundred minute version of your two and a half hour movie that way. And you bring them together in, in a, in a less abstract way. It's just, oh, they're all working here because this is where you, if you have anything to do with dinosaurs, they've recruited you. And, you know, I don't think we wrote a worse movie just now. No, I mean, there's a lot of things like, I don't know. I, I, we skipped the locust, which is great. Yeah. Well, yeah, the locust is such a bizarre inclusion. I don't know. But like, even when the locust thing is done, there's no real reason for the original cast to be there. Like, they're not helping with like the evading dinosaurs or anything. No. Or the like closest Malcolm, thing in, um, Malcolm is hired to just be a contrarian. Like, what a great job. I wish I could get that. Was it was it just me or did Jeff Goldblum feel like way off his game in this one? Like um I t- like the the one scene where he's talking to to Chris Pratt where he's like you made a promise to a dinosaur. And yeah, that's a that's dinosaur also- on your back. Like that's he's doing an imitation of himself. Yeah, but, but that's like that's where he felt I don't know cuz I rewatched the original like a few days earlier. I saw it like a week because, ago, yeah. Because, like, you know, <laughs> I want. Oh, he's he's at surprisingly, he's doing surprisingly peak Goldblum in that movie. Well, that, I don't think we that's ever realized. I mean. Yeah, no, he's like he's like dialed up to eleven Goldblum in the original, and here he's at like two, and like he's giving his monologues about like chaos theory and all this sort of stuff when you first see him, and it's like that's not the same character. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah, that was that. He was the letdown, I think. Besides kind of the clever lines they wrote here and there um it wasn't enough. i did like, and, the, like and then he no. goes like jurassic world not a fan it's like no yeah come on <laughs> yeah that wasn't you, you can't best. put a lampshade on the whole movie <laughs> no 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 um so yeah we we've kind of established bad movie but worth seeing expectations in check um we might talk about it again just because there's a lot of weird shit in this movie to talk about but i want to wrap up on um lightyear which I guess by next week you might have seen. Like, are you planning on seeing it on opening weekend? Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get to it before the next episode. Okay. So I'll just preview with the embargo lifted on Tuesday. Review embargo. I had uh, put my thoughts on social media earlier. It's good. It's pretty good. It um, The gimmick is it's the, you know, the the movie that Andy saw to make him want a Buzz Lightyear toy. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty spot on in that. I was not expecting it to have way more of a tie-in, at least to me, to Interstellar than to Toy Story, which is kind of wild. Um, it's a very family-friendly movie with, you know, the same, like, mild Pixar tragedy involved. But it's a movie that has um, time dilution in it, which is a little heady for, for kids. You know, the, like, Interstellar, like, you've been gone for 40 years. They do a they do a small version of that here as a, like, major plot point, which I, I thought was pretty bold. Other than that, you know, there's a lot of the standard, like, Pixar stuff. They're, like, animal sidekick thing. Socks the Cat is amazing. Like, there needs to be, like, Furby versions of Socks the Cat immediately. Um, and Chris Chris Evans is a pretty solid buzz. Um, the voice works fine. It's it's a sci-fi movie. And, and I, was, I was kind of impressed that they went sort of sci-fi with it. I guess the, the point being, if you don't, haven't seen a Toy Story movie, you just watch it as, like, a, this introduction to this cool new character. Which I'm totally fine with. I know it's meant to sell toys, but, you know, so is everything. Can't really get mad at that anymore. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see a Pixar movie on the big screen again. Yeah, this one, spectacle-wise, is perfect for the big screen. 
Um, someone I saw tweeted, like, this is the first one that I think could have gone to Disney+. Plus. And, like, I don't really believe that. But, you know, it's it, it does feel almost like a side project. Just like a really good version of a side project. Right. Um, in the way that, you know, a uh, a Turning Red or a Soul or even like a Luca feels like, okay, this is this, like, passionate story I've been waiting my life to tell. Like, I know Angus McLean has been, like, waiting his life to, like, helm a Pixar movie and has been working up the ranks but I, I mean, I, I don't know if it was, okay, this is the one I have the opportunity to do or, like, I pitched the idea. I, I know, you know, everything is collaborative at Pixar, so you never know. But it's pretty interesting that this is, this is you know, this is the thing they've sort of struggled at aside from Toy Story 2, 3, and, and mostly 4 is, like, the things kind of meant to sell things, like, you know, Cars and Cars 2 and Cars 3 and um, Monsters University they've always felt like the lesser elements. And, and I think they even like finding Dory, even though that movie for a while was like maybe one of the top 10 highest grossing films of all time. Um, this is, this is a better version of some of those things. So I was, uh, I was largely pleased with it. So once you, uh, once you see it, we'll talk about it next week. Sounds good. Can't wait. Awesome. So we're going to, we're going to wrap up here. Um, so say where you can be followed, pitch what you want to pitch, um, you know, uh, hawk your wares and how about you tell me the movie you're most looking forward to after lightyear because that's the next one you're going to see i assume uh yeah well by by default yeah um yeah. oh let me look up some stuff but uh yeah i gotta pull up mine because somebody asked me what i'm looking forward to recently i was like i don't fucking know like i think a lot of the things that were high up on my list were early year releases which is not well usual. same exactly like it, i'm kind of i'm and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a little harder. You can't say nope. Okay, because that, that's like well, also pretty soon. Yeah, I'm gonna try and go like at least more than a month out. Um, yeah. But anyway, you can follow me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M Y L E S on Film. Uh, please check out my short films Once Upon uh, Dracula and American Exorcist. They are both on YouTube under Chase Capo and Aftershock Pictures, respectively. Uh, also check out my writing on Awards Radar and Looper uh, this week in honor of Jurassic World. I did an article about uh, early roles from the actors from Jurassic Park that they prefer you forget about, uh, which is <laughs> really funny to look up some utter trash with some really big names in it. Uh, did, Fair. I don't know if you know that Vincent D'Onofrio was in a movie called Bark about a woman who thinks she's a dog, and that's the whole movie. I mean, I do now. <laughs> Yeah, so that's 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 what I've been working on. Um, okay, what am I looking forward to? Give me one second. I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking is at. It, is it Glass Onion? Glass. Yeah, that title came out today. That was kind of not what I was expecting. I mean, listen, I'm fucking stoked for the Knives Out sequel, no matter what. Um, so I I um, slightly inside baseball, but I I had lunch with Netflix this week or last week, I guess, and um, they didn't say that this was happening, but. You know, they they kind of mentioned what their, you know, what their pitch for this year was. And last year, for example, it was right around this time. So imagine last June, they were they were already talking about um, Andrew Garfield in uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. Right. When I think we kind of had it a step down from some of the other stuff. So the fact that their pitch was um, Bardo, obviously. And um, that was that other big Netflix movie that I'm spacing on. One other thing which I'll think of in a second and knives out too, which I got a wink about knives out too. It was like, they, they think they have something here. 
So the fact that the title reveal is something, you know, four months out from the movie, I, I am, uh, I'm curious. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I have this feeling that, um, it's going to be as good, at least to someone like me who was like, it was fine. And then got pretty good at the end, but may um, be a little more divisive because because it's clearly not going to be the exact same movie. Sure, and there are obviously people who want the same movie. Oh no, um, Ryan, yeah. Ryan Johnson is too genre savvy to just make another. I mean, not that Knives Out was a standard murder mystery. I think it was pretty within that formula was pretty subversive. But uh, I think yeah, there's no way he's just going to do another version of that. He's got something else up his sleeve. Yeah, no, he would he would not be. Uh, interested like you know they i think also the fact that they basically bought um why don't want to say that you know they they picked up his two knives out sequels there was probably a sense of like well why not go you know not wild but like i can i can take a bigger swing with these oh well with what they're paying him yeah he can fucking go for broke i love it um, um, okay, so I've got my, uh, I've got my, uh, what I'm looking forward to. So there's a, some that I'm definitely, you know, I am excited to see, like Nope, like uh, Black Phone, like Bullet Train. Um, had you, um, had you already guessed it was Aliens for Nope? By the way. Oh yeah, from the first trailer, that was yeah, same. Yeah, that's the first one. Just wanted to make sure but we're both on the same on the same. <laughs> it's definitely there. Aliens, but I think there's still something more to it. Oh yeah, the Aliens are going to be the way you get your your commentary on race somehow yeah no he'll he's he's got something going on uh um, or, or they're like it's going to be like the circus kind of thing like they're they're they they see um because if you look almost everyone in in that town who is involved with the 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 visits and it seems like there's multiple are not white so i wonder if there's going to be like a like a zoo aspect of it oh god well yeah i mean we can well, i mean if anyone can can do it and not make it icky it's it's jordan peele yeah all, my only my only tinfoil hat theory is that in the most recent trailer, you see that Keith David is playing the sibling's dad and apparently yeah. dies like almost immediately. And yes. all I'll say about that is that there's no way Jordan Peele got Keith David to be on screen for like less than five minutes. So I think there might be something else going on with that character. I don't know what or even just Keith flashbacks David at the very least. Yeah. But yeah, there'll be some there'll be something else going on there, I think. Um, totally. So yeah, all those Thor: Love and Thunder. There's there's a bunch more to look forward to this summer. Uh, but the next one I'm like really like excited, excited looking for, uh, and I've talked about it a lot is uh, Three Thousand Years of Longing. That's oh, right, yeah. the genie fucking movie. Well, you're just determined to know how right you are about that. I mean that, but also like Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba are two of my favorite actors working today. So them teaming up with fucking George Miller's next project now that he's got like fury road money is like yeah yeah, like it's probably going to be weird and out there it gives me like kind of cloud atlas vibes a little bit it looks like a big swing and those are the kind of projects that i like salivate waiting for because even if it's a miss it'll be a fascinating miss totally can i um can i also encourage you to um watch hustle when you have a chance is that on something right now netflix it's the oh it's the adam sandler um, yeah yeah yeah. um yeah, I might get around to it. I, I like Adam Sandler when it's he's very good, good, but I'm not a big sports movie guy. I think you'll like it because it's not it, it. It's more about like uh, scouting almost in the in the same way that um, 
like Moneyball is, is okay. not okay. Well, I do like Moneyball, so okay. Yeah, it's not as it's not as it's not quite as smart. Let's let's be real, but it is it is quite good. I'm so spacing on the other Netflix movie they told me about, which is a shame. Um, but while I think of that, you can find me at Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, all that stuff. Um, Awards Raider is on several things. I am going to um, say. Well, I could cheat and be like, well, no, I won't. Um, you know what? I'll say Armageddon time. Just because I usually like James Gray. It's kind of interesting to me that it's got weird buzz. And I'm just, I'm very, I'm very interested in where that goes. Because I don't know it's going to be, if it's going to be anything worthwhile or not in terms of like the Oscar race. But I tend to be a fan of his stuff. Um, when, I will say we, what I would have. Uh, when are we getting that? That is that is uh, TBD on focus. I think when, once we know, once they know how much they want to push it, will probably be. Oh, you know what the other one was? I spaced on the biggest one. White noise. Netflix's oh, okay. uh, bomb back movie, which is like apparently a, a bigger budget movie than we realized. Like it's a it's a it's a epic of some sort. Um, but yeah, that um, Armageddon time I don't think has a release date. Um, the movie I was initially going to pick, I uh, I can't uh, pick because I will have seen it by the time we do the next episode, even though I will be embargoed. Um, a movie perhaps involving romance and lightning. Ah. Oh. I, I wouldn't know what that is, but you know, you can perhaps uh, take a guess there. Do you want me to actually event. take a guess? Because it's so no. obvious. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm imagining not to break an embargo. Um, in the meantime, check out the site for all of our uh, Emmy coverage, all of our interviews. We are posting like a half dozen a day at this point. It's, it's. Uh, I wouldn't say ridiculous because it's awesome, but it is. Uh, it's a lot of content, big, small. Like you know, we um, we recorded this on Tuesday. I'll just give you the example. Like Tuesday saw um, as varied names as. Um, Melanie Linsky and Gary Oldman, like pretty, pretty big up, pretty big up guys. And like, like I said, the writers of Pam and Tommy, the, the showrunners of Made for Love, one of which, um, um, Alyssa Nutting wrote a book that, um, called Tampa that I highly recommend. It's a wild read. Um, actually, um, wild enough that Harmony, Harmony Corinne was going to make a movie out of it before, um, he got sidetracked. Oh wow! So like we okay. have, we have everyone. Um, if you're curious, look up what that movie is about. Would have been about, and tell me you wouldn't have been fascinated and kind of dreading what that would be. So uh, we will talk more next week. Until then, uh, stay safe. We will see what the movies, and uh, you know, just keep an eye out on the whole COVID front because a lot of people are still getting it. And uh, yeah, we we don't want you to you know die. So be safe, everyone. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content. <laughs>